to entertain you, we'll sing your songs. Hey there, are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris to Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. movie night this week we're talking about a movie that i picked but it might as well have just been a kelly brother pick because we're talking john waters with serial mom probably one of maybe two john waters films that fall close enough to a horror movie for it to be an actual horror movie night pick the rest of his movies can be horrific but they are not horror necessarily scott was this your first watch of serial mom yeah i only knew it from the vhs cover i remember and i'm not sure if brian remembers this I didn't see this movie until college, but I had wanted to see it for a really long time because I remember seeing the ad on pay-per-view all the time. And I was just like, what is this? <laughs> like, John Waters had so many movies that I remember seeing posters for or seeing advertisements for and just being like, what is this movie? But it wasn't until college that I ever actually watched any of his films. I don't even know what my first John Waters movie was. Pink Flamingos. Yeah, I made Brian watch Pink Flamingos. I still haven't watched it. I think my first one was actually Pecker. 
And I only oh, watched it because yeah. it's starring Christina Ricci. And I was like, hell yeah. And then I bought it and I was like, this is a weird fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always forget that that's him because I didn't even know who John Waters was. I mean, I knew the mustache, you know, <laughs> the pencil stash. I have so many quotes written down for this movie. Just that opening scene, the opening breakfast scene, like the dialogue between Ricky Lake and Matthew Lillard, Matthew Lillard at this point, everyone's like their peak level of wholesomeness, where she's just like, do you think I could get 50 cents for the village people? And he's like, you could even get a buck. Like, it's all so dumb. I think what I love about this movie is where it's unique from other like dark comedies is just the fact that like, this is the one like serial killer movie where first murder, everyone's pretty sure it's her. And then by the second murder, it's not like a mystery. Like everyone is fully aware. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that she is this serial killer, but it's like due to technicalities, they can't arrest her yet. So the one thing that I read when I was doing some of the research on like the critical reviews of this movie, this is kind of like a middle reviewed John Waters movie. Like people were like, it's not as crazy as his past stuff, but it's not like his worst movie. But the biggest complaint that people had was actually with Kathleen Turner that they felt that she like wasn't playing it up campy enough, whereas everybody else was like fully embracing the camp. I didn't see that when I like I thought that she was perfectly fine. But apparently the first choice that John Waters had, the person he wanted to play Bev was Julia Andrews. No, I thought oh, I thought Susan Sarandon was was supposed no, to they, be it. They offered it to Susan Sarandon Julie after Julie fucking Andrews. Andrews. Yeah, could you imagine Julie Andrews doing the prank phone calls and stuff? I <laughs> like, I can. Because I have a great imagination and, you know, I wish you wouldn't have told me that because, like, I thought Kathleen Turner was great in it. But it also is kind of funny that she's playing it a little bit straight while everybody else is, is kind of embracing the camp like you were talking about. But I don't know. It, it, she's, she plays it so straight and then she gets, like, insane in the maniacal. last like, 30 minutes. You know, yeah. every murder. She improved. John Waters apparently didn't even notice it. Yeah. Until it was in a screening. She improved the scene where she just stops to wave at a family real quick and then continues chasing people. It's her family. It's when they're at the <laughs> stop sign and she's yeah. chasing his friend. It's like when you see feet in an action movie and you're like, oh, Quentin Tarantino did this. It's like <laughs> yeah. if somebody masturbates like a caricature of a human would masturbate, Dude. I know I'm watching a John Waters movie. Dude, between the masturbation scene and when she's having sex with her husband and they are like flying <laughs> off <Yeah>. the bed. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing is, like, I think I have no evidence of this, but like John Waters, you never really hear about like John Waters boyfriends or anything like that. I think that John Waters is a very asexual human being. And the more I watch his movies, the more I'm like, oh, yeah, he just thinks the even the concept of sex is ridiculous. Like, I mean, it is. (laughs) <laughs> like, he just mocks it so hard. I also love, this is, like, one of those things where it, it captures, Brian, you were talking about this in our chat. Like, it captures all of the essence of, like, what you can expect in a John Waters movie. And, like, his his satire on, like, the 50s stereotype of a family is so good. And they get it right away in the very beginning when the police show up and they hand the ransom note. And she goes... I never say the P word. And her husband goes, no woman ever would. (laughs) Like, like it's just so over the top. It's so ridiculous. But I do have a couple quotes that I wrote down uh, that I wanted to give to Scott specifically. 
Um, oh, because you for, want me to put it in my next? Yeah, for your next album. Yeah. So uh, I got a few here. Uh, there's his unhealthy obsession with sick horror movies. Yep. Uh, I wrote is that one. one down. Tell me, did he torture animals as a child? Was another one I wrote down. Yeah. Well, if he did, then he probably is a Republican senator. <laughs> and then it was gore, hanging there like a yep. ruddy nose. <laughs> like a bloody nose is what I, I think. It, I think it's. I think it's bloody nose. But yeah, it was pretty fucking great. So I, I have like a really weird. Uh, like most of my notes are just me not understanding if these references were cultural or in jokes because John Waters knew these people but like he the talking peewee doll that that Ricky Lake has I believe the mom says that guy's a weirdo or maybe Matthew Lillard says it so let me tell you how deep shit goes in this movie <laughs> there is a Christmas card in this movie that they never draw attention to, but it's an original John Wacy, John Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. Uh, John, John Wayne Gacy. Gacy. There we go. Oh my God. It's an original John Wayne Gacy drawing that was sent to one of John Waters' childhood friends when he wrote a letter to John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> and they were just like, well, we're making a movie about serial killers. Might as well just put it in the background somewhere. So, like, that's like little Easter eggs of just references that he has buried in here. <laughs> That's so, I mean, it's just weird. And like, I just read a note and I, it took me a minute to process it. And I was like, is this a quote or not? Because I thought it was. But actually, the, the note is, I have happily never heard my parents fuck. Um, yeah. Which really, I think that that is the mark of, of true suburbia is, is never having heard your parents fuck. So, I mean, yeah, I didn't grow the- up in suburbia, but I feel like I had that suburban 80s, 90s, exactly what you think about white bread America kind of upbringing. I mean, obviously my mom wasn't a serial killer, so, so yeah. I, that's well, probably and, beca- because my, I didn't hear my parents have sex. So there you yeah. go. I mean, even like the casting in this is very pure John Waters. Like you've got the regulars, you got Mink Stoll popping in there as, as Dottie, but then like Carl's date is Tracy Lords. The mm-hmm. uh, if that I she got set up by end. Tracy Lords, I just accept it, you know, like, yeah, I'd be okay with it because Tracy Lords in the <laughs> early '90s, just chef's kiss. Perfect. And then mm-hmm. Patty Hearst plays the juror that Beverly kills at the end the final of the movie. Yeah. Victim, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like but we just, also get that Suzanne Summers reference or uh, cameo, and I, I don't understand that cameo either. I just don't. I love how enamored everybody is by her. Like uh, yeah. she walks in, <laughs> the judge oh, wow. stops and stares. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they spent a shit ton of money to get the rights to the song tomorrow to be in this movie from Annie because like <laughs> the producers did not like John Waters and they kept raising the price and he kept being like whatever you want I'm paying for it because I want this scene to happen this way and it wasn't as expensive as I thought like it was very expensive but it was only 60 grand like yeah. if you think about it but still but that's a fuck ton of money for like a John Waters budget too. Like, what was this 1992? <laughs> Holy fuck, yeah. that's a lot of money. That's at least a hundred grand now, right? Probably. Yeah. But that's some shit that I would do. Like, obviously, if I had the funding, because I love that scene. And it's like one of those things where it's like, hey, they want a lot of money. We shouldn't spend it. It's like, no, I have this vision of someone getting beat to death with a piece of meat to she Annie, has, and it has to be she, Annie. <laughs> she has a whole roast leg to cut a tiny slice for her sandwich. Like, oh, and guys, I gotta tell you a, a, a quick story that that just reminded me of. The first summer that we had Roan, you know, our first dog, we've had him for a long time. I had never had an indoor dog, you know, grew up with, you know, like farm dogs and such. But Roan 
it was the first summer we had we had him so we got we'd had him for i don't know like eight months at this point and um megan and i were like let's drive an hour and a half to this renaissance fair because neither of us had ever been to a ren fest it was outside and nice weather blah blah and and so we're like we'll take the dog and so we take roan and this was also you know like 11 years ago so i obviously was still eating meat and i was like well, you know, I'm here. I want to get one of those absurdly large. I think they're turkey. Maybe they're ham. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's been a long time. But like Roan was just sal, just like f- f- spit all over his face. Like his beer was completely soaked because he just wanted some. And I was like, okay, buddy. And so I like pulled off a, a, a little slice of it and I had it between my teeth you know and i was like okay run come get it and he bit the fuck out of my lip like (laughs) so bad and so anytime i look at those i have two thoughts now one the one thought was always medieval times which i've never been to but i've seen in you know the cable guy but uh and now now i'm gonna think of cereal mom getting beaten to death with that which i mean i'd much prefer to just have my lip bitten by my dog so one of the lines that has stuck out in this movie for a really long time for me it's not even like a necessarily funny line it's probably like the most dramatically delivered line in the whole movie but it's after the woman gets beat with the leg and Matthew Lillard's girlfriend is just like, I saw the blood and it was brown. It wasn't red like in the movies. It's not like the gore movies at all. <laughs> like, I quote the Don Knotts line constantly for some What's reason. What's the Don Knotts line? It's when they're at the swap meet and it just cuts to a guy buying a picture of Don Knotts. It's like made out of jelly beans. And he just oh, goes, yeah. I, I can't believe it. Fucking Don Knotts. And then his girlfriend just goes, he's the coolest. <laughs> like... <laughs> Here's the thing about John Waters. I feel like so much of his humor is anti-humor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you for know, sure. and that's why I, I think it's definitely a an acquired taste, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's why I don't think he's ever the most mainstream he ever got was like hairspray, and that was also the most like subdued he ever has been. Well, and you <laughs> like, know, I'm I'm gonna say the thing that everybody hates me to say, but you know, I. I like the remake of Hairspray better than the original just because there's more music in it. Yeah. No, I don't think that's fair. I like the original because it's all of these, like, obscure 50s and 60s songs that I never would have known right. had I not seen that movie. Yeah. I like the original more because of John Walters. Oh, God. His little cameo is As so- the psychiatrist. So oh, can yeah. we talk about can we talk about John Waters cameo in this movie, which might be my favorite John Waters cameo as the voice of Ted Bundy on the cassette yeah. tape? Oh, my God. That was him. <laughs> yeah. Beverly, it's me, Ted Bundy. It's lonely on death row. <laughs> now that that would be great to start a, a ska song, you know? Like- yes. One of the other lines, the thing that I love about this movie specifically is like. How complacent, it's almost like people know that Beverly is a serial killer before it's revealed. Because there's that scene with the recycling guys. Where oh, yeah, they're like, they're just like, for the sake of this planet, somebody just might kill the neighbor. <laughs> he goes, someone ought to kill her. Give her a happy face and then recycle her. <laughs> and I was like, can you imagine having that conversation with, like, your trash man? <laughs> like- uh, well, so here's the thing is that you're forgetting, like, I'm, I'm so shocked that we're over 15 minutes into discussing this movie. And you haven't said what I think is the, the most notable line in this film, which is, Daddy, at least you could apologize. I collect Franklin Mint. I think that's such a <laughs> that I actually I think that's the only joke that I laughed out loud for this movie. Everything else was I, I was just kind of like, hmm, you know. I that's kind of the John Waters reaction sometimes, huh? <laughs> One of the parts that made me laugh so hard 
is when the guy finds Carl's body in the bathroom and it's like this big burly guy and he walks in holding a shish kebab. Oh yeah, he has the weirdest like, scream effect. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a Howie scream. It's it's uh, I had to look it up. A Howie it's, scream. I know the Wilhelm scream, yeah. but I do not know the Howie scream. It's, yeah, there's the Howie scream. The the Wilhelm scream I think was someone getting eaten by, by an, an alligator. alligator. Yep. Yeah, I don't know what the Howie scream was originally. I think the movie moves quickly. Like like oh, there was yeah. a point and where I did long. like a time check. And I was like, oh, wow, we're like in the 20 minutes left range. And I feel like I've only been watching for 20 minutes. Like John Waters, and I've said his quote before, but he's always said, like, if you can't do your movie under 90 minutes, you shouldn't be doing your movie at all. <laughs> and like his movie's a prime example of his skill of just like, yo, you get in, you tell the story, you get the fuck out. Because we said the same thing about Crybaby. Like the first hour of Crybaby flies by. <laughs> Yeah. Brian's like all morose. He's like, yeah, well, first minute, first hour of Crybaby flies by. I wish it was like much longer because, you know, I, I just, I need my waters fix. I just <laughs> have to get rid of my Crybaby tin. So, no. yeah. No. <laughs> Why? Are you using again? <laughs> okay, cut yeah, that, man. Just... <laughs> no, don't cut that. Because I am. <laughs> no, just we're, we're downsizing. A bunch of shit we're getting rid of all like most of my trinkets any gifts like i had to put my foot down like this is a gift from someone like my little beetlejuice plush i got from scott but like in order to salvage all my gifts yeah Yeah. in order to salvage all my gifts i had to get rid of the shit that i bought on my own so there's a few other things that i want to make a reference to and they're all within the same like five minute period and we're going to talk about the cops coming to arrest Bev at church up until she sneaks out to kill the woman watching Annie. Because first and foremost, holy shit, that's not hitting the baby's forehead. <laughs> got, got, got such a reaction out of me. But then there's the whole sequence where she's hiding in the back and the lady comes in to rent Annie. And there's all this weird dialogue where he's just like, Oh, you here to return Ghost Dad? She's like, I just love those Bill Cosby movies. And then he charges her for not rewinding, and she goes, Keep the change, you son of a psycho! As she like walks out. And then he goes, Must be the influence of all those family films, right, Mom? And that's when he realizes that she left. But like, there's like four quotes right there for your album, Scott. You could do a whole album of just quotes from Serial Mom. No, no, I, I, I don't think I could. I can't believe that you're... All, I mean, like, the stuff that you're sticking on is so funny to me because the stuff that I'm sticking on is almost like the polar opposite. And it's also probably because it's my first watch. But John Waters, the asexual director, really went ahead and named the fake band Camel Lips. The all-female. Yeah. It was L7. Oh, that was L7? Yeah. Okay. That's fantastic. <laughs> that that actually makes it better. <laughs> and then Hatchet faces the stage diver. I, I, it's funny because she's in there for just a split second. It's like, you know, literally a half second where you just see the stage dive. And I saw that platinum hair and I was like, I bet you anything that's fucking Hatchet Face. And I looked it up and it was her. And I felt so good about myself because I'm like not a John Waters aficionado by any sort of gauge. You know, I've, I've seen Crybaby three times in my life and that's it. I've seen Hairspray like three quarters of one time. So for me to be like, you know, like it's, it's, it's big, you know. Yeah, there's certain things that he does in his every one of his movies has like one or two things where I'm like, oh, that's so uncomfortable. And, and I think. 
not that the fans named camel lips, but the close-ups of all of, of their camel the, like, toes. Yes, yeah, they, like it, it, you're it, just it's like, very oh, intense. And the fact that it's L seven makes it so much funnier to me because like they literally knew what was going on, and they were like, "This is punk rock, so let's do it." Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. and I, I don't mean punk rock the music. I mean punk rock the aesthetic. Like they were, they were like, "Well, this will piss some people off. This will piss I, off conservatives. Let's do it." Yeah, like I just had this conversation the other day. Playing punk music is not part of the punk aesthetic. Like there is a thing where it's like it's about the attitude and the aesthetic way more than anything else. And like I think John Waters, just his whole attitude is like that punk rock aesthetic because it is like it's the he is the movie equivalent of like a band like Pansy Division. And I think he does that with weirdness. You know what I mean? Like he's just like this is going to be shocking and it's going to offend people. But it's also gonna like make people uncomfortable, and the people who are uncomfortable fucking should be uncomfortable. <laughs> like, it's like, like it's like I love that attitude. And then like just like crazy shit, like casting Patty Hearst. Like like he'll just be like, oh, you were kidnapped and like part of a weird cult. I want you to be in my movie. And I spent a <laughs> I, I spent a good fifteen minutes on reading through Patty Hearst's Wikipedia and and what happened. And I was like, Jesus Christ! Like what did he promise her? to be in this fucking movie as this character, you know? All I remember is that there was something that happened on the set of Crybaby where basically, like, she was afraid of about going to jail, and then the entire cast and crew shared their getting arrested stories yeah. because yeah, everybody that works with John Waters has, like, done jail time <laughs> for, like, stupid stuff. Like, John Waters in the 70s got arrested so many times for, like, obscenity stuff. Well, that was the goal for Plink Flamingos, right? Yeah. Because he was friends with the guy who made Deep Throat. Yeah. Oh, wow. And he was like, we want to make something more shocking than Deep Throat because you're going to jail for Deep Throat. So let's like push the boundaries to, yeah. to where it's not even pornographic anymore. It's just disturbing. You guys are never going to get me to watch that movie. I just hope you know. I like, love John Waters, so I'll watch all of his movies. And there's a certain respect to it. But like anyone that's like, oh, his best movies, Pink Flamingos or Multiple Maniacs are like the same people that are like Sublime's best album is Robin the Hood. And it's like, you know, yeah. it's not. But like you just want to go with like their originals. Like the, his movies aren't even really entertaining; they're just fucking weird until they get to like the pecker, the fucking. I would say like polyesters where it really like I think polyester was the first film because it was the first film that actually got a legitimate rating from the MPAA. Yeah. I mean, as much as it sucks, when he lost Divine, he became less reliant on Divine, and his films got better because of it. Although I do think that Divine is like sorely missed, like. The presence of Divine. I could see Divine literally playing Serial Mom. Like, if Divine oh was God. still alive, he would have Divine playing Beverly, for sure. Absolutely. And it's <laughs> like, funny how, like, he started... I don't want to say he got, like, mainstream, because he never really did. But, like, his movie started to get a little bit more tame. And then he just comes out of nowhere with a dirty shame that is just, like, full-on overdose of John Waters being John Waters. Just, like, yeah. insane. One of my favorite things about him is that he always tries to find the weirdest spot to put written and directed by John Waters. So on this one, it was over top of a smushed fly. Yes, I, think, I noticed that on this watch. I think in Pecker, it's like, a shot of two rats fucking in a trash yeah. can, oh and it says written by John, written and directed by John Waters. Like he's always like his little sister's obsessed with sugar? Yes. Narcoleptic, that, or or she sleepwalks or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I watched half of that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's got its it's got its moments. So that was Serial Mom. I'm a big fan. Brian, big fan. Scott seemed to enjoy it enough. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not mad about it. You know, it's not like half of the shit Brian picks. <laughs> yeah. So let. <laughs>
We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Let's, let's talk double features, and I know that this is my pick, so I get to go first. I mean, this is no shocker. This is one of my all-time favorite movies, but just the tone, specifically around the point with the guy with the shish kebab, I was like, this movie tonally reminds me a lot of Freaked. So I think my double feature would actually be Freaked. Can you put that much of your favorite into one evening? Because like literally that that's <laughs> you. You're, you don't that's know like me a, at all. Scott. <laughs> I, I, that's like a death row kind of thing. Like I'm going to die tomorrow. I'm going to watch fucking serial mom, serial mom and freeze. <laughs> and I'm going to eat a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> An entire one by myself. Can I have a pizza with McDonald's French fries, please? <laughs> All right, Brian, since you are the other person who possibly could have picked Serial Mom, uh, what is your double feature with Serial Mom? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it a John Waters night, and my personal favorite, I, I would really pair it with uh, Cecil B. Demented. I just I think that's, fucking love that movie so much. And Cecil B. Demented is the only other one that I could even – kind of quantify as a horror, a horror. yeah like, i wouldn't be mad if we discussed that one i did i've watched that whole movie okay i've seen okay i've seen more john waters than i remember you see the fair he's got a shockingly light filmography <laughs> like yeah for how for how long he's been around and how influential he's been and how praised he is like he had a bunch of movies in a row in like the 70s then he did polyester in 1980 and then his next movie wasn't until hairspray in 1988 wow hairspray was 88 yeah and then like crybaby was like 91 and then he had like a brief run in the 90s and then he did dirty shame in 2004 and he hasn't done a movie since scott what is your double feature with serial mom well um before i do that i just i got i have imdb up and pretty shocked at who is in um, Cecil B. Demented because uh, I mean I remember Melanie Griffith being in it. You said something to the effect of it's it's amazing how many people that were in it before they were famous, and I'm thinking like okay this movie was 2000, um, yeah. so Melanie Griffith was actually either at the 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 very top of her stardom or like I think that she was on the downward slope. I mean I know it was a weird way to get her in it, but Stephen Dorff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Alicia Witt, Adrian Grenier, mm-hmm. Maggie Gyllenhaal, Michael Shannon, and I remember Kevin Nealon being in it. Yeah, he played but, Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of big names in it, and so I don't. I mean, I guess Adrian Grenier, like 
that makes sense. But Alicia Witt, she had already done Urban Legend at the time, I believe. Yeah. I mean, like this this is a pretty star-studded cast. Maggie Gyllenhaal, I can see it being a little early on in her career, but like. I felt like Michael Shannon, I haven't seen in the comedy, aside yeah. from Cecil Oh, he was in Knives Out. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and I'm not saying they weren't working. It's just, like, I feel like, especially Adrian Greer and Michael Shannon, like, they really skyrocketed it. Like, I feel like Michael Shannon started to get really big after he was in Boardwalk Empire. And then he yeah. was in that Alien movie. He was in the Iceman movie. He plays, like, a lot of really straight roles. His biggest thing before Cecil B. Demented was he had a small part in Groundhog's Day, and he was on the show Early Edition. Yeah. Oh, he was Zod. He was yeah. Zod in Batman versus Superman. That's mm -hmm. fucking crazy pants. All right, so, Scott, double feature. Oh, okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Romancing the Stone. Ooh. You know, I, I'm not going to double feature a John Waters movie with a John Waters movie. I just, my sanity can't handle it, but... You know, I, I actually really like Romancing the Stone. Megan and I watched it over the winter time, I want to say. It's just a good fucking time. Question, and I think I'm wrong. Is that a Steven Spielberg movie? No. The no. only reason I thought it might be is because it's... The it cover looks Steven like Spiel Yeah, it is a Steven Spielberg artwork. Well, like the Goonies I think that that's the, fucking... the whole point is to, like, yeah. you know, make that joke. Because that's all I really remember from it is, like, them swinging from the rope in that cartoonish style. But I mean, I bet that if we went down and in and looked for who made that poster, probably the exact same person yeah. that, that did all the Indiana Jones. And those are the best. Those are the absolute best posters of all time, in my opinion, is like the, yeah. the painted fantasy action ones from the 80s. For sure. All right, so things that you watch this week that you want to talk about, I got to give credit to a, a new friend of mine, thanks to One Hit Thunder, and his movie, The Last Blockbuster, that is currently playing on Netflix. It is a ridiculous documentary about The Last Blockbuster in Bend, Oregon, and how they have managed to survive years after the franchise collapsed. Just filled with, like, great guests throughout the doc. I, I mean, you're getting interviews with, like, Brian Posehn, Kevin Smith, Doug Benson, just a ton of comedians sitting there talking about their experiences. Jamie Kennedy shares an incredible story about how Blockbuster's what started his career. So I was like, that's crazy. Like his story and like the director told us later, he was like, I didn't know that story. But yeah, it's really funny. It's really just a, it's good, wholesome time. So highly recommend The Last Blockbuster on Netflix. Cool. Uh, I'll, I'll give you guys a, a twofer here, and they'll both be really quick. So speaking of Danny DeVito, because of Romancing the Stone, we were on a kick where we were watching just some, it was kind of like, you know, on Prime or Hulu or whatever, whatever streaming service it was, we were kind of like, movies like this, blah, blah, blah. And Megan was like, oh, Living Out Loud. I think it was 1992 or something like that. And it was bad it was so fucking bad and it was like a drama and she knows i hate, hate dramas and and um it, no fault of her own because i guess that her mom loved it when she was growing up so her mom loved it when megan was growing up so she hadn't seen it in something like you know 20 some years and and she was like oh i remember this being funny let's watch it holy shit it was painful it was probably the most painful movie watching experience I've had in a long time because she kept on going I'm so sorry I'm, I swear it gets funny and it never got funny I've never even heard of this it's it's <laughs> like... real bad but the reason why we got to it is because I told Megan I've never actually watched the entirety of Pretty Woman and uh, she was like what and so she puts on Pretty Woman and that movie is a, an absolute delight 
and and the connections to the princess diaries are insane do you know about these half the same actors are in it wait 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 wasn't kathleen turner and peggy sue got married yes we watched that a couple weeks ago too that movie's fucking ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) and not that great yeah, probably one of my least favorite John Hughes movies. It does not That's feel a like John a John Hughes, Hughes movie. I had yeah, no fucking clue. It does clue. does not feel like and Nick any Cage is oh any, Jesus Christ. So yeah, bad not, in it. Not the best John Hughes, not the best Nick Cage. Not a not a good yeah. one. It's no Wicker Man two thousand five or whatever it is, guys. No. All right, Brian. What what have you watched? Uh so I watched one episode of two things. I was in Georgia staying with my boss this week, and him and his wife watched the worst type of television. So first I watched an episode of, fuck, I don't remember what it's called, Trust Issues Island or something. Fuck, Temptation <laughs> Island. Temptation <laughs> Island. <laughs> and, I think you found a better name for that show. <laughs> that's basically what this show is. So it's 12 cu- or six, yeah, 12 couples. And then you just like take all the girlfriends, you, you cut it in half, six and six. You take all the girlfriends and you put them on this island. And then you put all the boyfriends on this island and then you take the other two couples and reverse it and then just see who cheats on who. And that's really the show. But it was bothering me so much because I'm like really at this point where I don't know. And the answer could be both. But it's like everyone's aware that reality shows are like a social experiment. So I really I genuinely don't know is like do the worst type of people go on reality TV or is it just that they're set up to guarantee that they're going to bring out the worst in everybody? There's so, so much alcohol involved. Yeah. I think mostly alcohol fueled. Yeah. This is the thing I know. So Netflix did that Love is Blind show, mm-hmm. right? The experiment started with 100 people. By the end of the week that they were in their isolation chamber, 10 people decided to be couples. Uh-huh. But they only followed four of them. Because they said that the other six people were too compatible with each other. Gotcha. So they, the they actively were like, let's follow the four people that are just absolutely toxic Trash. for each other. Yeah. Because that's going to give us what we want. That's so it's, want. it starts as a social experiment for sure. And then they absolutely take the information from that social experiment that they need to get ratings. <laughs> yeah. so, like, but that's what's so wrong is that like the, the, what you need for ratings is people being absolute horrible trash humans. I hope that over the next couple of years, because, you know, something like a Ted Lasso, like there's so much stuff where it's like, no, people want like wholesome, stress-free entertainment as I well. I hope so. I mean, and like Great and British like, Bake Off, you know, like yeah. I don't understand people that get off from watching people be shitty and yell at each other because I'm like, what is your life actually like? There's not an indictment here. I truly don't fucking understand (laughs) what your life is like if you aren't, if it doesn't make you like physically ill to watch people argue. And that maybe is just my anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second thing I watched was I watched the most recent episode of Riverdale. Why? I haven't watched any of Riverdale. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So they gave me a rundown. I want to pause you for just one second. Kathleen is going to do an episode that's just called What the Fuck is Happening in Riverdale, (laughs) which she tries to explain. She goes, this season is so off the rails because I think they did like a nine-year jump forward in time or something. Yeah, because they had to. They're like, you guys are clearly 30. <laughs> you know, like, so I guess in a previous season, there was a serial killer, the trash bag killer, TBK. There's a there's a cult involved. And what? Uh, everyone's, what the fuck? Yeah, everyone's banging everyone. 
Um, oh, I, I only saw one episode, so I can't say for sure, but I'm starting to get the idea that the writers are fake woke because it's like, hey, here's this gay couple. Here, Here's these two gay men. Watch them kiss on the lips. Then it fades to black and you can get the assumption that they're gay. Okay, now there's these two gay women. All right, let's slow it down. All right, blow on her nipples. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, really caress her hair. You know, so... I was like, hyper-focused on that. But the whole reason I brought it up before you go is just I really want <laughs> HMN to do a show exactly like Riverdale. And I'm like, what is the perfect comic to, to take this idea and do it with? And I think it's going to be Dilbert. I think that we should do a really dark, teeny-bop Dilbert. <laughs> The problem with that is that the guy who does Dilbert is like an alt-right fanatic. Yeah, so, we gotta uh, give the money yeah. to Scott Adams for that. I, you know what? Fuck it. I'll do a teeny bopper Garfield. <laughs> That's what I was. Thinking, oh, you've been like, waiting yeah, for that. But, yeah. but the thing was, we would have to, we would have to just make it like Archie. Like Garfield is just a just a red-haired kid, and then uh, <laughs> his brother is just a blonde-haired kid. I will say, my first idea was Calvin and Hobbes. And it's like, all right, it's this dark thing. And then, like, the kid's, like, tiger is, like, a legitimate tiger. And, like, he, he like, kills his enemies. And I'm like, this is actually getting too badass of a show. I would actually yeah. watch the show. I need yeah. something, <laughs> I, need something so I, think I can mock. Having not watched any of Riverdale, but hearing a lot of people say that the first season was not terrible and then it really uh... went off the rails... It was the first season was hard, dude. Like yeah, Megan and I, I, I slogged through it. The first two episodes are fun. I have a feeling that they didn't expect to be going this long. Like yeah. I think that this yeah. was it's like, like supernatural. We have an idea it's, it's for every one. CW show. Literally yes. every show on the CW, they they get like they're like, okay, well, I think we can make it through three quarters of a season, and if we don't get like canceled by that break, then we'll figure out how to end the season. And then <laughs> yes. each time they're like, fuck, fourteen year olds love this shit, and so Arrow is at like. 10 seasons supernatural yeah. quit at 15 or dude it's ridiculous all right well speaking of ridiculous we just talked about john waters serial mom and if you hop over to our patreon at patreon.com backslash hmm podcast you'll hear us talking about matthew lillard probably the person we talked about the least in this serial mom episode <laughs> so stay tuned for that listening to the Geekscape Network. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. Hey there. Are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, 
And also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 